to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting fire hose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week, we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful. And a little remindy-schmindy that if you're enjoying us, to recommend us to your friends, your fam, your coworkers, follow us on the social media, rate and review. Uh, one quick to the point little review that, that we received from ABP Finance. Wow, we've got a finance fan. <laughs> That's our niche. <laughs> uh, says, great show. Well done, Pod, and great conversations. Thanks, Mr. or Miss Finance or MX Finance. We, uh, we appreciate it. <laughs> we appreciate it. And we have an exciting announcement. Um, we are part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Yay! Um, the Frolic Podcast Network is a podcast community of everything romance and romance related. If you're into romance fiction of any flavor, the Frolic Podcast Network includes shows that feature book club style discussions, author interviews, comedy critique, and fantastic conversations as well. Uh, the network includes some of the most innovative, interesting, and entertaining podcasts, including Boobies and Newbies, a show that we were just recently on, um, and that episode will drop, um, I think, probably probably in the next couple of weeks discussing a lady's formula for love. We'll be sure to let you know when it's out. Um, but yeah, so we're a part of the Frolic podcast network and we're really excited um, to be joining them. And for uh, listeners of our show, that just means um, that there are more shows that you might want to enjoy and you might occasionally hear us referencing them. Um, so we'll uh, occasionally might be introducing you to other great episodes and podcasts that you might love. And uh we encourage you to find new shows to add to your podcast subscriptions at frolic.media slash podcasts. Yeah, check it out. They've um, got a bunch of lovely romance pods and they, they're branching out into other sort of women owned and operated and similar type of vibes. So check them out. Wow. Wow. Yay. Good, good. Well, the Oscars were Sunday. They happened. <laughs> they happened, and uh, I can't quit them. <laughs> I I have not watched the full Oscars in many a moon, but I did watch clips, and I've seen a, a number of, of the films. Uh, mm -hmm. Watched like close, dude, to butt, because yeah, escape or avoid it. <laughs> right, it was an unexpected highlight, although people said there was like a lot of commentary that she maybe knew about it and planned it and it was like planned and that kind of ruined my fun because I just wanted her to know I wanted her to just have inherently known all that so I choose to believe that she just knew about the butt and did it unprompted choose to believe I love that for, I love that for you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a, um, you know, it was that they set the bar so low that being like, it was the most diverse Oscars ever is like, wow, yay, slow clap. Um, but it was kind of exciting. And I think that um, combined with the uh, interesting fresh format because of COVID, they had to kind of break a bunch of norms. They did things slightly differently instead of happening at the Kodak theater. It held, they held it at union station, um, this LA train station, which like 
I didn't even really know that LA really like, I mean, I guess I knew trains like went into LA, but oh, <laughs> ignorance. <laughs> I was like, um, yeah. So I learned something new about LA that they have a union station kind of like feels like, well, just call them an East coast city, right? How many union stations are there like between DC and Boston? It feels like a thousand. Um, but yeah, so Nomadland won Best Picture and Best Director was Chloe Zhao. Um, and she was the f- only the second woman ever to win Best Director, which is absurd. The only other person was Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker like a thousand million years ago. Was, I mean, maybe it was about 2007, 2008. Anyway, not a thousand years ago, but like a long time. And she is... Um, the first woman of color. So that's great to win best director. Um, that was kind of exciting. Uh, and I, I enjoyed the film. Um, it's, you know, it's very depressing. Um, <laughs> but it's, I thought it was really cool how most of the, most of the characters in the movie weren't actors. They were just kind of playing themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, people have been living this lifestyle for, for years and years and years. So I thought, you know, when I was watching, I'm like, wow, this really has some like authenticity to it. And then I learned that and was like, oh, well, that that's probably why. <laughs> you know, real humans, uh, in a lot of cases, sharing their actual stories. Um, so it was, it was an interesting look at, at that, at that world. Frances was, you know, a queen. She's a wonderful, wonderful actress. Yeah, she was great. She won Best Actress. Um, and I don't have any like real quibbles about it. Although I was sort of rooting for Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but I was kind of like, well, and Carrie Mulligan. I kind of was just like, this is a great field. Whoever wins, it is good. I don't have, I don't feel very strongly about it. It was a great film. Um, Worked of talent in that category. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of talent. Um, one thing that was a little weird um, and off-putting and like just kind of frustrating was uh, they, instead of putting the best picture as the last award of the night, they made it the, like they, they had that. And then, and then after best picture, they did best actor and actress and they saved best actor for the last award of the night. So everyone was like, okay, they're going to give it to Chadwick Boseman. Boseman and it's, right. Um, it's going to be really powerful. Like, okay. So it's like, we're all set up for him. And this is Chadwick Boseman, the late Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, um, which was a great performance and so different from um, his performance in Black Panther. Anyway, so we're all like set up for that. And then who wins? <laughs> Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, who, as we actually discussed before we went live, it was he he gave a wonderful performance in The Father. And some say, some people that I've chatted with via text, I won't call them out here, but some said it was a better performance than Chadwick. Like if you were taking it kind of, if we're taking just the performances and not taking into account a lot of context, which performance was better? Some people thought the father was better. I think overall Chadwick Boseman's performance was slightly better edges him out just a little. Cause it was more consistent over the course of the 90 minutes of Ma Rainey. 
And as we kind of discussed, Anthony Hopkins was so good, but he really turns it up in the last 10 minutes to something that is emotionally ruinous. I might say, you might say, you may call it. (laughs) Um, And he wasn't there to accept the award. He didn't even go to like um, London or, or Dublin to, to one of the Academy sites where they were streaming and they were having people who were from there, uh, accept awards and be present. So he was literally sleeping. And so the award was accepted on his behalf by uh, Joaquin Phoenix. And it was like very anticlimactic. So it was just one of those moments that was a little like, like big gamble on the part of the producers to put the best actor last and then to have it not pan out the way that they were hoping. (laughs) Yeah, because it really did also like, you know, people are already thinking like Chadwick Boseman will probably win. And then with that slotted at the end, you know, it's like, oh, they're, they're gearing up for this like beautiful, emotional, wonderful moment where he wins. And then it's just like, here's Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was sort of a weird way to end it. Thankfully, the beginning kicked off in, sl- in a slightly better in better form um, with Daniel Kaluuya winning for Judas and the Black Messiah, which was super deserved. And he had a great little part of his speech where he uh, ended it by basically being like, my mom and my dad had sex and then here I am. So we should celebrate. And the camera pans over to his mother and his sister who like puts her head in her hands and the mother's like, what is he talking about? And it was just like hilarious and cute. Um, so there was that. And then there was also Ye Jung Yoon, who won Best Supporting Actress for Minari. And so good. Oh, my God. So good. oh she was a delight. Second. Yeah. It was bomb diggity, dare I say. It was. And her her speech was so delightful and charming and like getting up there and asking Brad Pitt, what, where were you when we were filming? And like talking about how she was like, I will dedicate this to my, my two boys. Um, this is because mommy works so hard. <laughs> so she just, seems like a real, a real peach. And it was such, yeah, definitely a well-deserved win. Yeah. And I kind of just, I also liked that in this award show, there were like, it, no one was sweeping any category. I mean, I th- like everyone, a lot of the good sh- good movies that were nominated, everyone got a little something. Even Promising Young Woman, Emerald Fennell got Best uh, Screenplay, um, which was nice because it was just like good. I mean, she should she should have. She wasn't going to win Best Director. Um, and Sound of Metal got like Best Editing and Sound. So it was just like feeling like things. And then... Um, the women who did the hairstyling, um, best hairstyling went to two um, black women. First time black women have won in the makeup and hairstyling um, for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And that was kind of nice. Cause again, like anytime you hear like, that's the first time you're like, oh my God. Wow. So <laughs> let's just get these firsts like rolling. Let's get through them. <laughs> Honestly. And uh, my octopus teacher. Uh, <laughs> Just the only documentary from the list I saw um, <laughs> happened upon it in my browsing, you know? Yeah. I, I gotta say, I, I really, I enjoyed it a lot and it, it moved me to tears. I <laughs> felt like yesterday, it was yesterday, the day before, 
I was just like thinking about the octopus and I just started crying. <laughs> I don't know. Oh man, they're such such smart creatures and they're not on this earth very long, but oh, the impact they can make. <laughs> I should watch it, but I should watch yeah. documentaries too. And no. other films. I liked my octopus friend and I also was moved to tears by it um surprisingly and it was beautiful um that was the only one where it was like I did have a quibble with that being the one just because I felt like I feel like the Oscars they love a good uplifting documentary and I mean this one was sad but it was also just overall like very beautiful and melancholy but not like not like most documentaries which are just showing it, reflecting us the dark fucked up world that we live in and different from different angles. Um, so I did like my octopus teacher or my octopus friend or whatever, but, um, teacher. my octopus teacher, my octopus friend. Um, but I was really hoping they were going to give it to the documentary collective, um, which was from Romania. And it was the first Romanian film ever to be nominated. And it was so powerful that it was nominated both for best international feature, which it didn't win and best, um, documentary, which it also didn't, didn't win. I was hoping it would snag something, but that one was really, I, I do encourage people who are, you know, interested in the documentaries definitely to check that one out. But there was also Crip Camp about the disability movement. And it was just like, okay, but let's give it to the octopus. Don't get your tentacles in a twist. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't hate it. I was just, it, usually there's at least one award where I feel like, mm. yeah. Um, well, I'll watch the, those other two and maybe I'll have a different opinion. Because, like I said, I just stumbled yeah. onto it and um, and enjoyed myself. And I yeah. pajama sharks, you know why. Uh, you know why. They did make those guys look really austere. They're not, yeah, they're, they're not, they're not very nice sharks. <laughs> not aggressive sharks and they're just, ugh, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. And oh, and one last one last shout out to um, another round, which was the best international the film that won best international feature from Denmark. Um, really good. Mads Mikkelsen was really good. And when the director Thomas Vinterberg got up to talk about the film and accept the award, it was really emotional. I didn't know this, um, but half but four days into filming. Um, his the director's daughter 19 year old daughter who was supposed to also be in the film um died tragically in a car crash um and so it was just it just kind of added this other layer to the film that i you know now i kind of want to watch it again and and think about how that like think about that layer and it's about four men who are or yeah three or four men <laughs> who are in their middle age, middle-aged white men having a crisis basically, <laughs> which is like, right. Not necessarily what I thought I would respond to, but I just, you know, they all decide that they're going to have a fake scientific experiment about to see how, like, if they all maintain this level of like being tipsy all the time, will that improve their lives? And like it does for a while. And then it really, really doesn't. Um, but um, it weirdly is not the most depressing film I've, seen it's not you know anyway anyway I just I would recommend it 
Yeah, I'm done. That was one when I was watching trailers um, before watching some of the movies where I was like, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll circle back to it another time. And then I, like, that clip was one of the ones I watched. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. All right. I'll move you to the, close to the top of the. Right. The Oscars. Oscars. Yeah. That's been your Oscars recap. Yeah. Good movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there was a ton of other depressing news this week that we're just kind of not going to really get into, but we will get into it in more detail in another episode. There's been a lot of developments on things that I think, you know, the last couple of weeks we've said, like, we're not going to talk about the Supreme Court Commission or the infrastructure bill, or in this case, um, you know, the, the tragic killing right after the Chauvin verdict of, um, Makia Bryant, uh, in Columbus, 16 year old, um, black girl who called the police for help. Um, and they, showed up and shot her because she was wielding a knife at two people, but it was like, she, she called the police. She was anyway. Um, so men who were antagonizing her apparently and like harassing her and threatening her, um, women that are, I think almost like 30 years old, really awful. There was also, um, a state the state of emergency was called in, um, Elizabeth, uh, North Carolina because of, uh, the killing of Andrew Brown jr. By the police. Um, the state of emergency was in anticipation of, um, the release of body cam footage, but that footage has not actually been released yet to the public. Um, apparently a judge has to sign off on that first. Um, but there was 20 seconds of the clip released to the family and their family's attorney. And per the family's attorney, she said, this was an execution. He was in his driveway. He had his hands on the steering wheel, steering wheel. They ran up shooting and he kept his hands on the steering wheel while being shot at. He was there being shot at holding his hands on the wheel. Um, And, you know, she said, I lost track of how many, you know, how many shots there were. So, uh, like really sounds really harrowing and awful. And I feel like the state of emergency should be the fact that there are all these killings of people who are, you know, either calling for help or, you know, there's the death at when police are responding to calls just shouldn't be happening. So that feels like the state of emergency, maybe not the reactions of people, um, who are responding to this like traumatic injustice. Yeah. I think that's reasonable. And they were also saying that he was yeah, like shot in the back of the head. Um, mm. Just disgusting, disgusting stuff. And, and when we say defund the police, we, this is what we're talking about. We don't need these people with guns showing up for all of these calls because they clearly are capable of, you know, being responsible enough to have these guns because they keep killing people, namely unarmed black people. Right. Exactly. Um, there was some screenshot that I probably won't be able to find from my phone right now, but, uh, just basically pointing out, uh, Again, like you can look at the comparison of how much we pay. Oh, yeah. Public Citizen tweeted uh, military spending in 2020. We can look and China spent $252 billion, India $72.9 billion, Russia $61.7 billion, the UK $59.2 billion, um, and it goes kind of downwards from there. But uh, 
the United States spent 778 billion. So that's more than China. That's more than that's more than China and India combined. Um, and we just uh, with all of the money and resources that are being allocated to military and to the police, um, because I feel like they kind of mirror, mirror each other, the militaristic vehicles and equipment that they tweet about. Different police departments will like tweet about, ooh, look this, look it at this. Tiny toy. Right, this new Hummer, very exciting for our officers. It's like, ugh, and that looks like a war vehicle. Maybe let's not be tweeting about that. But um, with all of the money, there's gotta be a better way to do it. We shouldn't have people feeling terrorized and scared to call the police. And um, we should have a trained force that it, that is not killing people with this regularity. It's unacceptable, so. Absolutely. Ah. <sighs> Right on to our main topic: <laughs> filters. Not the kind for your, uh, I don't know, filtering devices. <laughs> what are they called? Air filters. <laughs> right. Not not air filters. Uh... I learned uh, via Lizzo actually that. Um, I mean, we all have eyes. We can see that filters are happening, um, but learned from Lizzo that 80% of girls, by the time they reach 13, they're using photo editing apps and filters and not like the kind where it's like, oh, now I have dog ears or I'm a cat, but the ones that actually change your facial features. Mm-hmm. And this is significant because there are studies that show that when people are comparing themselves to other people on social media and those other people have filters. Um, it makes them feel worse about themselves as well as people who are using filters regularly. They start to want to look like the filters. Um, and there are more and more people requesting plastic surgery with photos of themselves with filters on. Um, it's, it scares me. And you and I both kind of played around with, uh, with filters um to kind of see what's what's been going on because we're not we're not uh zoomers we're <laughs> we're of the millennial generation so we're like we see them and stuff but we're not like out there influencing and and filtering ourselves and there's you know the instagram filters the snapchat filters and then there's facetune which is like whoa honey yeah it's pretty upsetting um i did not uh facetune first of all 3.99 on the app store no thank you so i first of all was like no i i will get the free version or like whatever um which i think you also did um and i just yeah i find it really disturbing i don't i'm so glad i mean i already feel like body and face issues have been a thing for me since like I puberty, like fifth grade or something and only got worse and worse and worse. And at least I didn't have Facetune or these Instagram filters that are so easy to be like, this is what is a, what a better version of you might look like. Oh, that's scary. And like with Facetune, like, yeah, I didn't download the VIP <laughs> one, which like you with that one, you can edit yourself in videos and you can edit your body. <sighs> with just the free version. You can change the size of your nose. You can change the size of your eyes, the size of your lips, the like smoothness of your skin. Um, 
which is just it's a lot and i mean and a lot of the like filters on instagram um, and snapchat like they will make your nose smaller and straighter and you know lighten your eyes and depending on your skin tone either make you tanner or lighten your skin mm-hmm. just really um creating this one this one standard of beauty that's pretty uh, eurocentric and it's not like I think some, maybe some people I'm trying to think of arguments who would have, it's like, Oh, well, people put on makeup, but it's, I mean, it's, I think it's different to put makeup on the face you have rather than changing your face entirely to, you know, suit what has become the, like people call it the the plastic surgeons are calling it like the Kylie Jenner when people go in to get certain, Mm -hmm. um, certain procedures done. And apparently um, back in 2015, so they think the number that has gone, I think it's gone up since then based on how much more people are on social media doing part of the pandemic. But in 2015, apparently the average um, woman slash girl between 16 and 25 years old spends over five hours a week taking and editing selfies. Mm. And it's, I mean, like when I was doing the like filters, it's like I, it did like, I'm already aware of the quote unquote flaws in my face. That is how they like deviate from, you know, the Kylie Jenner standard, but like seeing, seeing your face in its, you know, better form, like with my smaller, straighter nose, it's just, Mm -hmm. It's fucked up because then you go back to the deep, like you're just your face and it does kind of seem like, oh, this is worse. Yes. And that's like me going into it being like, I don't like filters. I don't agree with them, you know, and I was still like, oh, dear. (laughs) Yeah, it seemed really insidious. I'm glad that you said that because I also posted just like a, a poll to social media, to Instagram stories last night being like, do you use Facetune or something? Let me actually just pull it up. And I did a side by side. And this wasn't even my this wasn't even Facetune. This was this was simply an Instagram filter. By the way, I think the filter was, there's one that was like suggested to me that was like boss babe or like brought to you by boss babe. And I was sort of like, what it, the way that the typeface looked on this little icon was made me think like this would be some sort of professional, like what, you know, workspace. It looked almost like, um, not we work, but some sort of, I don't know, some sort of like young professional woman owned company. And anyway, so there's like the boss babe filter, but it made me feel like I was, it was trying to turn me into like a fuck doll. I don't know. It was just like, what is this? Like it immediately identified like blemishes on my skin and, and got rid of them. It smoothed the skin. It made my face like less, kind of like it made my face thinner basically it made the gla- my glasses look just it made everything look better so that when i did look at the other one the real picture the unfiltered picture of my face i was like damn that's depressing that's kind of upsetting i'm 31 and don't use these filters jen like not at all i use sometimes i still use those like incredibly old like instagram i don't know like valencia or whatever like to just change up the vibe a little but it's not like anything that's altering my face in in any real way um by the way the, my social the people that responded I got 95% of people 
not say they don't use Facetune or reality augmenting filters. Um, and 5% said, yes. Um, I did just want to bring an interesting thing, an interesting point that came up when I made the same, uh, I put the same poll out on Twitter. Um, and I said, do you, so to our, to our like 2,100 followers or whatever, I said, do you use Facetune slash reality augmenting filters? 60% said no. 32% said what? <laughs> Cause I get, I made that an option too. And then only 8% said yes. So a couple of our friends said, you know, absolutely not like, and, and, uh, but someone, someone also commented, yeah, because I have bad cystic acne and it makes me feel so much more confident to remove the spots. So how do we feel about that? Because it's sort of, that did make me pause. I, I mean, it's not, I feel bad because then it made me pause. Cause I thought, okay, I'm in a place where I am just judging the shit out of this because I feel like it makes everyone less happy. People who are seeing other people projecting these images, the people that are spending a lot of money to make themselves look like this, like, which is already kind of an ephemeral thing. Like it's not going to last that long. We're all humans headed towards the same place. Um, I mean, it, but if it's going to make you more confident, but it's not confidence in real life. And I guess that's where I draw the, that's, that's where I draw a distinction. Um, I forget. I was having this conversation with someone recently too, where it was like, okay, people our age who get like nose jobs or lip fillers or Botox or lifting their foreheads or whatever. Like if I'm going to honestly react, my first reaction is it bums me out when it's a friend of mine or someone, because I just think, you're so beautiful. I, I, I feel that you are beautiful and I wish that you understood what I see when I see you and didn't, didn't feel like you had to change yourself. However, right after that, there's this sense of like, well, if that's going to make you feel better, and this is something that is going to make you move through the world more confidently, feeling better about yourself, less insecure, less, you know, then, and you have the means to do it, then, then do it. But it is complicated. I think that filters, you're just putting something that isn't even real. You're not improving your actual face in any way. It's, it's, it's fake. It's all fake. Yeah. It's fake. And it's like when people act like it's real, like when celebrities or these other people that others are looking up to are using these filters and not owning up to it. And then people are looking at that and being like, well, they look like this. I want to look like this too. I think, you know, that's the danger. And it's hard like to suss out, like my brain sort of like short circuits when I think about like, okay, if you're doing something for yourself to feel more beautiful, okay, that makes sense. And I like that. But at the same time, where did you get the idea you'd be more beautiful if you had a more narrow nose or you had, you know, higher cheekbones or you had like a, a different chin, you know, it's, it's this weird, it's hard to kind of suss out, you know, it's like, I like to shave my leg. I I don't like the process of it, but I like having legs, but is it, is it because I like having smooth legs or is it because it's, I've internalized the idea that that's more attractive, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and on the like cystic acne piece or, you know, people who have certain scars that they don't want, it, it's, that's tough, you know, because it's, people are, you know, especially if it's like you're putting out like a LinkedIn photo or a professional photo, because people can be judgmental and mean and make, you know, people do rate people in their own minds as 
less capable when they're less attractive to a certain point. Um, mm-hmm. So it is, <laughs> it's a, it's a minefield and, you know, people don't also always realize when photos are filtered. There was a study that found that people only recognize edited photos like 60% of the time. And mm-hmm. that over, um, over 12% of photos that are tagged no filter are actually filtered. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it, it's a, it's a tricky one and it's, you know, like I, I have a very, very mildly deviated septum. Like I don't need surgery for it, but I've certainly over the years been like, Ooh, I would just like to make my nose quote unquote better. You mm-hmm. know, um, I don't, she doesn't love her nose, but at this point in my life, I'm like, you know, whatever. So I have, I don't look like Kylie Jenner. Um, and I'm normally fine with that, but I will say looking at the filters that like make me look more like, I'm not trying to like shit on Kylie Jenner. It's just, she has become synonymous with this look. Mm-hmm. It does make me kind of be like, Oh, well, maybe I do wish I looked like, ah, I do wish I looked like that. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, it's like, what if, if we all looked the same? <laughs> like it feels like that's where we're headed. Like people with the means to, to change the way that they look, you know, beyond the filters. It's like, are we all just going to become, little pod people that look exactly the same as one another. And, and it's, you know, it's also like we we're cool with um, like big lips, as long as they accompany certain other features, mm-hmm. you know, cool with, you know, we need, we need like noses to be narrow and straight and we need eyes to be like big and doughy. And um, it's just, and smooth skin. And it's like things like the smooth skin where it's like, yeah, it's, it looks, you know, nice, but at the same time, it's like people age and people do, you know, get wrinkles over time. And when, like, that's another thing where it's just like, this is just part of like the human process. And when we're like filtering out these, these wrinkles or, or whatnot, it's like, what are we, what are we hiding? Like, we, we can't actually fight off death. Like we're all going to age and, you know, I think part of it is that we don't, hopefully it's getting a bit better, but we don't have a lot of uh, love or respect for women over a certain age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like this trying to fight aging and remain this like youthful, you know, these youthful people forever. And and another like depressing piece of it is that um, apparently so there is, there's this thing in your, in your brain, you either recognize something as an object or a person. And um, in men who, who you know, we, we would say are sexist, when they look at like a woman who's dressed matronly for lack of a better, better sense, you know, they see them as people. But when you put a woman in clothing that shows more skin or any quote unquote provocative pose, they identify them as objects. Uh, and women don't do the same thing for like, you know, those men in like firefighter calendars or whatever the fact. <laughs> but also just like, oh my, like, are we, you know, we're creating these images of ourselves and like men are out there like literally looking at us like objects and like, well, who are we doing this for and why? Oh, that is a huge bummer, but also makes sense to me. I, I or at least I can identify that that's, that makes sense that they, that men would be that way based on their, I don't know, behavior in the real world. Uh, Actions. 
I do think it's dark too that um, a Facetune spokesperson told Time Magazine for one of these articles when they were responding to commentary that the app is quote breaking the illusion of perfect body ideals. Everyone from famous supermodels to your aunt is using it. It levels the playing field for everyone, which is like, no, it doesn't. And I'm not even sure. I mean, I don't know who approved that PR statement, but it's just like, don't bullshit us. Just say we came up with this thing. Oops. It seems to be causing an entire category of dysmorphia in young teens because what was the, um, I mean, there's, there's a number of troubling things, but you initially Lizzo said that it was what 80% of teens by age 13 are using reality augmenting filters. I mean, I don't know what to do about that. I mean, it's just, because, and this is all coming out of Dove's 2020 research for their self-esteem project. Um, they have a bunch of data, um, and I forget if you said this one at the beginning of the episode, 77% of girls try to change or hide at least one body part, um, or feature before posting a photo of themselves on social media. Um, and, uh, the problem, let's see, uh, insidiously eats away at self-esteem with reports noting that almost half 48% of young women who digitally distort their body are more likely to have low body self-esteem in comparison to their peers who don't. Um, and that, the, the, I think specifically though, the, the statistic about trying to change or hide at least one body part, I don't know before they post a photo on social media, I don't know a single person, a single friend of mine, female friend who wouldn't connect with that statement. I think in a very like, like devastating way, if you're really thinking about the amount of time and effort and energy and money uh, and emotional capacity that we have all put into distorting ourselves, either as the picture's being taken, like I frequently, and I know, you know, I, I have relatives and friends. We are, we're all like, you stand in front of me. I'm going to put one leg in front of the other leg. And then there's obviously the hand. They're all like, tilt your face down, camera up. Like there's so many different ways in which, you know, taking a good picture is like a skill, but it also requires you to sort of position yourself in a way that doesn't look entirely natural and we get used to doing those poses. And then when we don't do the pose, like there've definitely been times where I've taken a picture and kind of consciously been like trying to fight the urge to do like something to make myself seem like thinner. And I regret it. It almost always ends in regret. It's like, why didn't I just do what I knew would look more flattering? Instead, I thought, oh, maybe I'll do something more natural. And now I hate this picture. (laughs) And we have like, there's these like, you know, there's like the body positive movement, but like, which I I think is wonderful, but it it just feels like lip service sometimes because it's like we have these campaigns and it's like real beauty. But then (laughs) on the flip side, we have, you know, this massive increase in the use of filters and just such this such a narrow idea of of what is you know widely accepted as beautiful and it's doesn't surprise me that they, people that, that women have tried to hide at least one feature or body part because human women come in different like shapes and sizes with different features and we can't 
most of us aren't born and don't develop to look exactly like that. Um, and so it's, it's, it's bummer that those, uh, I think part of why that 80% number that Lizzo shared with us, shared with us personally, uh, <laughs> bummed me out so much as I was hoping that like this next generation of girls was like seeing the body positivity movement and like internalizing it in some way and feeling like empowered in their own bodies. But it sounds like that's not happening <laughs> by and large. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like it's maybe getting less acceptable in some corners of the Internet to openly like body shame somebody. But it's still there's still these forces and these pressures that are causing little girls to change the way that they look so that they think that they're, you know, pretty. And it's really sad yeah, it's really sad. It's and it's and it's frustrating that it seems like progress is actually, you know, if there is progress in the body positivity movement, um, it's there's a lot of like there's one step forward, two steps back because of the effect of social media and what has been termed Snapchat dysmorphia. Um, I thought one interesting term that I've wanted, I, I don't know that we've tackled necessarily when we talk about body positivity and that movement, but one, another um, phrase that's coming up a lot is body neutrality, um, accepting your body uh, as it is in terms of size, shape, and ability, and moving on with your day. <laughs> um, body neutrality mantras would include saying like, I am more than my appearance. The way I look is just one of many facets that make me me. My worth and my lovability do not depend on my looks. I am worthy for a ton of other reasons. My appearance is going to shape shift a million times throughout my life. My life. Sometimes I'll find myself more attractive, sometimes less so, and that's okay. And I don't need to feel attractive at all times to be happy and live my best life. Looking and feeling attractive are not gatekeepers to my happiness. I mean, even reading those like makes me almost want to cry because it's like, I mean, what every single day am I trying to attain is like the number on a scale that I want, you know? Yeah. And it's like, how do we deprogram ourselves? Cause it's, I think this is true probably of a lot of women and people where we can look at somebody else and immediately recognize like their beauty um but we look in the mirror and we immediately recognize all our perceived faults and flaws um and i think you know i'm sure part of it is growing up as a girl and <laughs> all the messages we received and the kinds of praise we received and the kinds of criticisms we received and the kinds of things boys said to us over the years um but that's why it's so depressing to me is because i felt like i thought <laughs> Tides are changing for this next generation. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're just they're just as sad as we were, and they just they have different they have new tools now. Yeah, ominous, spooky tools, and um, yet I like that idea of body neutrality. It, it feels more realistic um, for some people, you know, like it's to attain that rather than body positivity. Like it allows yourself room to have changing feelings while still accepting yourself. Um, mm-hmm. There's this campaign I weigh that Jamila Jamila, I think is responsible for. And I think they talk about body neutrality and um, talk and it's 
talking about how you, what you weigh is not a number on a scale. It's like your, it's who you are. You know, it's like I weigh my empathy. I weigh my, you know, intelligence and trying to encourage girls and women to um, value things outside of the number on the scale and how they, how they look. Mm-hmm. Although I think a lot of girls and women try to attain <laughs> perfection across all, <laughs> all things, you know, yeah. intelligent and you want to be kind and you want to be, you know, aesthetically pleasing to the masses. Um, but it's, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know. I don't know what the solutions are. I'm just sad that it's, doesn't seem to be getting better. <laughs> right. Right. It's sad. And it's sad that like, it constantly feels, it feels like this is so much a conversation that women have with and about other women and about them. You know, it's, it's so um, generally a gendered conversation. Although I did want to interject. I don't know if you noticed or saw like um, a couple of days ago, new photos of Zac Efron were making the rounds um, because people were like, looks like he's had work done. And like, this guy doesn't look like Zac Efron from high school musical. And it was some pretty tough discourse, some rough people online or on Twitter, just being kind of cruel. And I don't know, like, honestly, aside from high school musical and kind of like some music musical, like some stuff that he's been in, I do not know a whole lot about, about Zac Efron as a human. (laughs) Um, Like I, I don't, I'm Zac Efron neutral. I don't like really have feelings about him, but I did see this picture and I was just like, okay, just like everyone else. Yeah. That doesn't look like the Zac Efron that I'm picturing. um, Even from like neighbors or his work with Seth Rogen or whatever. Um, And then just seeing like what people on Twitter said, like he slipped and fell and like, and had to have like his jaw like sewn back together or put back, like wired back in. And he also had like a very serious bacterial infection when he was shooting in Papua New Guinea and had to be like rushed from, you know, to a hospital in a helicopter. So he's had a couple of like pretty serious health scares, one of which is literally surrounding his jaw and like he sounds like he broke his jaw or something along those lines and he by the way still looks attractive and still looks like a human that is like there's it was just a very interesting conversation where it was like people were attacking his like this new face this face that is different than his kind of like schoolboy perfect face. Um, and that's not okay either. You know, this does, this does impact women, I think to a much higher degree, but that I thought it was almost perfect timing for the context of our of our conversation to just bring up, this does happen to men. And I probably would have struggled to think of one anecdote if this Zac Efron conversation hadn't sort of emerged like two days ago. Yeah. And I think particularly with Zac Efron, um, he has always been kind of regarded as a quote unquote pretty boy, you know, like he's had his worth tied up to an extent with his looks in the way that most women do. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's interesting because I think, I think men of course have to deal with, you know, body image issues and people being critical. Um, But it's, it seems like there are more, 
ways to be an attractive man than there are an attractive woman. And mm-hmm. Zac Efron, since he didn't look the same as his pretty boy face before, people were up in arms because they had decided his worth is tied to to how he looks. Um, but you know, speaking of like Seth Rogen and other, <laughs> um, you know, like there's if you're funny and you're a guy, then like you can kind of look however you want to look. Yeah because you're you're worth something because you're funny um or if you're really rich or if you're really intelligent it's like you're allowed to be you get a pass if you're not conventionally attractive as a man in a way that i don't think women do mm-hmm. um, but there's definitely you know and it's like i remember when dad bod started being celebrated and <laughs> in the same breath it was like wow she got her body back two months after giving birth and it's like her body didn't go anywhere mm-hmm. it, <laughs> didn't go anywhere and that's I mean we still and we do celebrate when men lose weight you know Mm -hmm. and it's definitely something that's celebrated and I'm sure there are you know jokes made at their expense about their bodies um when they haven't lost weight um so it's definitely it is definitely an issue for men but I just think it's men are allowed to be worth something regardless of how they look Mm -hmm. women's uh, appearances are more tied to their to their worth um, but leave Zach Efron alone. He's like, people just let people live. And it's also like, even if he had just, like, he had this awful accent, but if he had just gotten work done, uh, <laughs> leave him alone. It's like, I, I don't, it makes me sad that people feel like they need to get plastic surgery to, you know, be attractive. Um, but at the same time, I'm not here to like judge anyone who does. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, I think the moral of the story is don't, judge women based on their looks whether they're mm-hmm. conforming to whatever the current standard of beauty is or not like let's just let human beings be um valued and judged for the the content of their character rather than like how big their lips are or their eyes or like how are they serve what are they serving us you know like yeah how snatched is their waist <laughs> yeah let us live let us live. Oh my God. And figure out a way to make this, make the digital space better for younger girls. Cause like, damn. (laughs) I know. It's like, what is the solution? It's like, obviously we can't be banning, you know, all all filter apps or anything like that. It's like, it's up to people what they want to do, but how do we get the message through that? Like you're good enough the way that you are when it's like, there have been people trying to get that message across. Yeah such a long time and I see more body positivity body neutrality messages out there now than I've ever seen before and it doesn't seem to be doing anything so I don't really know how we how do we get it through to to young children especially girls that like they're worth more I don't know an ongoing conversation that will I'm sure just continue to have and turn over in our minds and in our hearts we didn't solve it didn't solve it today we did not (laughs) you know but I guess to to end it on at least to end this conversation on a positive note I do think that what is certainly true is that there are more women who are not like of the conventional long-held variety of like what our beauty American beauty standard is that are um 
having larger platforms, being allowed to flourish, being allowed to like booty dance, like Lizzo, just fucking love her, her Instagram pages her everything, her TikToks. Like there are more Lizzo's out there, um, by the day, uh, and the conversation, it is less and less acceptable, at least in the public sphere of like moderate, reasonable people to be judging people by their, by their looks. So moving, so like the dial in some senses moving, but it's got a really, in, in other senses, like we've talked about it, it isn't like, especially with children whose brains are so needing so much development. So we'll just keep trying to figure it out. Gosh. Yeah. Also shout out, happy birthday to Lizzo. I've been watching her Instagram stories and she's just, I just want to go to there. I want to go to where she is and I want to hang out with her and have, gosh, what a fun time she's having. Yeah. <laughs> happy birthday, Lizzo. Oh, and now for we see you. All right. There's a school in Miami, a private school called Centner Academy. I double checked. It's Centner, not Center. There's just an N in there. Um, so the teachers there got an email <laughs> that they can't, if they get the coronavirus vaccine, they're not welcome in the classroom. Um, <laughs> so the school's co-founder, uh, Lila Centner, the reason for the name Centner, uh, sent this letter and she said that we cannot allow recently vaccinated people to be near our students until more information is known. Um, she said that there are reports that non-vaccinated people can be negatively impacted by interacting people who have been vaccinated. Um, that's not true. That's been debunked. There's nothing, nothing, nothing out there that suggests that is a thing. Um, and so the letter sent gave employees the option to either uh, remain distance from students if they've already received a coronavirus vaccine, or they can not get vaccinated and then they can teach in person. Um, but it also said that if they chose to receive the vaccination, they could only return after summer break, but only if they hadn't been replaced yet. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, you can come back in the fall if we haven't replaced you. Hmm. Is that um is that a thing? Hmm. Uh, so just unbelievable that a fucking school, a private school, which costs tuition starts at fifteen thousand one hundred and sixty dollars for part-time preschoolers. Oh my god. Schoolers, it's twenty-nine thousand eight hundred and fifty dollars to receive likely a very shitty education with no basis in science if the the people in charge are not allowing vaccinated teachers to interact with students based on completely debunked, you know, fake science. It's absolutely ridiculous, uh, disgusting, and what the hell. Um, so we see you to Lila Sentinel and the Sentinel Academy in Miami. We fucking see you. Gross. <laughs> Um, okay. So Rick Santorum, <laughs> he really stepped in it this week. Um, when footage from, uh, he was speaking to some, I don't know, American youth group, whatever. Um, he really, <sighs> he put his foot in it. He said, uh, I'm just going to read the quote <laughs> and then we'll get into it. He said, uh, if you think about this country, 
I don't know any country in the world that was settled predominantly by people who were coming to practice their faith. They came here because they were not allowed to practice their particular faith in their own country. And they came here mostly from Europe and they set up a country that was based on Judeo-Christian principles. I say Judeo-Christian, the Mosaic laws, 10 commandments, and the teachings of Jesus Christ, the morals and teachings of Jesus Christ. That's what the founding documents are based upon. It's in our DNA. He talks about how uh, China and Turkey uh, had been around, quote, for millennia and had seen their cultures, quote, evolve over time, but not the U.S. Quote, we came here and created a blank slate. We birthed a nation from nothing. I mean, there was nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans, but candidly, there isn't much Native American culture in American Native American culture in American culture. It was born of the people who came here pursuing religious liberty to practice their faith, to live as they ought to live. So if we're setting aside what I think what feels like a pretty intentional reference to a birth of a nation, which is, again, one of the most notoriously disgusting, racist, KKK apologist um, films in U.S. history from, I believe, 1914, D.W. Griffith. Bad, 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 bad. Anyway, saying we birthed a nation from nothing feels like a direct reference to birth of a nation. I don't think that's crazy. So, but if we set aside that, um, Rick Santorum is um, wrong and perpetuating um, a really destructive narrative about the founding of America and the history of of North America. Um, There were actually... There's actually a lot of um, influence of Native Americans just specifically in in American culture and in the founding model of democracy. Uh, I didn't even I didn't know this. This is more of this is kind of things that I learned in being initially repulsed by Rick Santorum's statement. But the um, part of our founding model of government was uh, Ben Franklin was influenced by uh, the Iroquois system of government. Um, the arrows that the eagle in the national seal of this country, the, the arrows that the eagle is clutching is um, believed to be a reference to a metaphor made by a Native American leader. 26 states have names that are of Native American origin, and there's different meanings behind each each one of them, but 26 states. Then that's also not to mention cities, mountains, rivers, lakes, et cetera, that owe their origins to different Native American names. There are at least 2,000 words in the English language that are directly linked to Native, different Native American languages. Um, Farming and agricultural practices um, were taken from Native Americans, specifically the farming of potatoes, corn, tomatoes, strawberries, and chocolate as food. Um, Medicinal practices, including pain relievers and different, um, the origins of different pharmaceuticals, syringes and oral birth control, suspension bridges, the sport lacrosse. Um, These are just kind of a few things that I, I was indignant about Rick Santorum. So I did like the briefest Googling slash Twitter research. Um, And these are just a few things that are American culture influenced by Native American um, origins in this country. Um, But it's also poignant. It felt kind of poignant to me because I spoke a couple of weeks ago about seeing um, the, uh, seeing Mount Rushmore and sort of 
being frustrated that they there was no reference of sort of how it's stolen land um, from the Lakota tribe. Tribe. Um, if you go just a few minutes down the road from Mount Rushmore, there is a, another monument called Crazy Horse, which is a monument to a Native American that went by the the name Crazy Horse. Um, but there's a museum next to Crazy Horse that has a whole bunch of different. Um, relics and ephemera that native tools that native americans used and there's this visualization um, of the history of humanity basically um in north america that spans thousands of years um european settlers are only like the last small segment of the timeline yet like everything before european settlers according to rick santorum is a quote blank slate it's just it's ignorance perpetuating more ignorance and it's a harmful narrative that shouldn't be permitted especially by people that have platforms like cnn that aim to be like balanced and educational and and presenting differences of opinions with integrity. And I, I feel like at this point, Rick Santorum, who has a platform on, as a commentator on CNN, he should be uh, removed from that because he he is not engaging in any type of good faith um, here. And especially as we're more and more divided, um, it's just unacceptable to kind of like engage in this erasure. Um, and, uh, oh, <laughs> and that's also to say, this is all coming at a time when Biden kind of ca- caused a kerfuffle for recognizing the Armenian genocide that happened like a century ago. Um, it's causing a diplomatic kerfuffle with Turkey, but, um, and then in retaliation, um, Erdogan of Turkey was like, well, maybe I'll just recognize that the U S conducted a genocide against native Americans. And I, it's sort of like, yeah, we should, we should be using that language. We should say that that should be a part of American history that we are actually taught and that we teach children. Um, we will be a better country when we are more open and honest about the violence of our founding and before our founding and the violence that was intentionally wiping out so many um, indigenous people and their land to such an extent that it caused a global cooling of the environment, a a phenomenon called the Little Ice Age that altered the climate globally and froze over the Thames in London. That's that is crazy to me. That's one of these like pieces of information that's really stuck with me over the last couple of years, just the information about how how that is how much farmed land was wiped out because people who had been tending to it for centuries were wiped out by European settlers. We did not, it was not a blank slate. We wiped peoples out, millions of people, hundreds of millions of people. And maybe now it seems more like a blank slate, but that is not the truth of it. And um, it was, yeah, it was very disappointing. So Rick Santorum, we see you. God, he's, you can always count on old Rick for an awful, awful take. Yeah. Like racist, homophobic, all the things. All the things. Yeah. Oh, we see you. Fuck. <laughs> um, all right. Taking a little trip over to Spain, um, where a 40-year-old man who had COVID and was symptomatic, had a fever of 104 degrees, um, went to the gym, went to work, and he lowered his mask and coughed on people and said, I am going to infect you all with the coronavirus. Um, He directly infected eight people, five at his workplace and three at his gym. And then those people in turn infected another 14 people, including three children, uh, among them a one-year-old. 
Um, he was arrest, arrested um, for spreading the virus to 22 people on charges of a crime of injury. And I mean, this is an ex- extreme example. I mean, we've seen we've seen Karens and grocery stores doing shit like that here, um, t- taking off their masks and coughing on people. And it's the selfishness and the ridiculousness that comes with how certain people are acting when it, with COVID is just, it's too much. I mean, if you're not one, God, I hope people choose to get vaccinated who haven't gotten vaccinated yet. Um, there are already, you know, places in the state, counties in the state where people had been filling up vaccination appointments. Now it's like 30% of people, 30% of the slots were, were taken, you know, at a recent event here. And so hopefully these people are going to be wearing their masks when they're around other people, when they're out in public, um, because I am just afraid that there are enough of those people out here that it won't matter that other people get vaccinated. We won't be able to achieve herd immunity. We'll have these mutations going on. And, and of course, this is an extreme example of this, the student in Spain who's out there maliciously spreading it. But we have so many people who are just refusing to listen to experts or do their own research. Um, and there are some people who can't get the vaccine for, for medical reasons. And those people are now at risk because of the assholes who are choosing not to, not because of a medical reason, not because of a legitimate reason, but just because they don't believe in it. Mm. and it doesn't matter and they they'll take their chances with covid Mm. okay well it's a public health issue you can't just make that decision for everybody you come into contact with so if you want to choose not to get the vaccine purely because of your rights and your freedom then stay the fuck home um, Mm -hmm. for maternity Mm -hmm. so we see you to that man in spain and to like-minded individuals right here in the u.s of a oh we see you Okay, so this we see was initially the Florida Senate, but I'm just going to say we see you to the sweeping sweeping, um, voter suppression laws and uh, anti-protester laws uh, that are getting passed throughout the country. Um, Florida uh, just recently passed legislation to make it harder to vote by mail, among other um, restrictions. that are condemned in the exact same way as, as uh, Georgia, as Jim Crow 2.0. Um, this bill in Florida would also limit ballot drop boxes, impose more identification requirements for absentee ballots, and criminalize giving food and water to voters in line. These, these things are popular throughout a bunch of different states. This legislation is motoring through rapidly in other states as a way to suppress turnout for the 2022 midterms. But additionally, there are these anti-protester bills that are getting passed most recently in Oklahoma, which was a a new law was signed into, uh, was signed into law, um, allowing drivers basically to hit people with cars, um, in a specific set of circumstances that are revolved around if you are protesting. Um, The measure creates new penalties for protesters who obstruct streets or vehicle traffic, including fines of up to $5,000 and as much as a year in jail. Um, 
under this new law, an Oklahoma driver will no longer be liable for striking or even killing a person if the driver is, quote, fleeing from a riot under a reasonable belief that fleeing was necessary to protect the motor vehicle operator from serious injury or death. That feels very broadly written um, intentionally and malicious. Um, and you'll just be able to target public protesters um, in a way that seems, I mean, let's be honest, which protesters? Black Lives Matter protesters. Um, and these are just, you know, strong reactions to what was a historic turnout in 2020 towards protesting police brutality. Um, and this backlash, uh, it's kind of on us to make sure that we don't allow this backlash to pull us even further back into another type another Trump era, it means we're going to have to be really vigilant. We're going to have to get the, um, get out the vote in a, in a much more aggressive way than we, than we even did for 2020, um, which sounds exhausting just on its face, uh, because it's not like the Senate, unless they pass the, unless they get rid of the filibuster, which they won't. Thank you, Joe Manchin. Um, you know, we can't look to them to really pass any meaningful voting, voting legislation, voter protection, um, legislation um, in time for the 2022 midterm. So this is pretty dark. Just keep an eye on Florida, Oklahoma, Ohio, Iowa. They are passing this shit in, you know, at breakneck speed. Uh, we see you. Yeah, it's just like, this is abundantly clearly a way to try to make the right to assembly not actually right at all. Uh, right. Very, very, very sketchy. We see you. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving over to East Harlem, um, a 61-year-old man, uh, Yao Pan Ma, uh, was pushing a grocery cart and collecting bottles on East, in East Harlem on Friday. Um, he had uh, recently lost his job due to the pandemic and was collecting bottles to you know, try to sell the money for recycling. Um, when a man approached him from behind, hit him in the back, um, and just that left him motionless on the sidewalk. And his attacker kicked him repeatedly in the head before walking away. Um, and Yao Pan Ma, who's a Chinese immigrant, has not woken up since then. He's been in a medically induced coma. Uh, mm -hmm. He has a critical condition. They don't know if he's going to make it. The NYPD hate crime task force is investigating the case. And it's, and his um, wife said, I'm very worried that my husband's not going to make it. I want the police to capture the person as soon as possible. And it's you know, just a reminder that these hate crimes against Asian Americans are continuing to happen. Um, it seems like it's often elderly Asian Americans that are being targeted and just for no reason other than their, you know, the color of their skin. And it's every time it happens, it's disgusting. It's disheartening. It's happening all the time. Um, and a little reminder that if you want to get trained, free training as um, regarding being, you know, a bystander who can intervene and help out in these situations, you can go to iHollaback.org, I-H-O-L-L-A-B-A-C-K.org. They have just this week on Thursday the 29th and Friday the 30th, they have um, on the first day, they have a bystander intervention, intervention to stop anti-Asian and American harassment and xenophobia. And then on Friday, how to respond to harassment for people experiencing anti-Asian harassment training workshop. And then they've got a bunch of um, trainings next month as well. So they're completely free. You can sign up for them. They also have trainings to stand up against, you know, street harassment in general. 
Um, but I think it's a good idea for people to to sign up for this. Um, you know, look into different AAPI uh, organizations in your area potentially that you can donate to. But at the very least, I think if we all are trained to know what to do if we witness something like that. Um, it could make a difference um, for, I mean, even if just one person uh, does this training and is able to intervene, you know, and help one person, that's worth it. But if everyone who isn't racist and who is anti-racist and wants to be able to, you know, help their, their neighbors and fellow citizens, you know, just gets trained to know what to do, hopefully that can make an impact and make a difference. Um, yeah. So I recommend everybody do that. I'm signing up and we see you to the man that attacked Yao Pan Ma and to all of the people who have committed hate crimes um, recently and historically in this troubled country. Ugh, we see you. Once again, some of the hate can be traced back to Trump. Uh, I mean, or to, you know, what Trumpism has evoked. Um, Okay. Last we see you is to um, rural leaders worrying. This is a news article of specifically calling out Tennessee right now, but I I believe this is, it seems like a a more widespread issue and it seems pretty dark. Uh, Rural leaders worry about devastating prison closures. So this is coming from, um, um, Dara Cam at the News Service of Florida, but um, it's an article, um, or sorry, yes. Yeah, so this whole thing is about Florida. I don't know why I said Tennessee. I think I read Tallahassee and was like, just said Tennessee. <laughs> um, anyway, so we're talking about Florida. Um, so this is, uh, there's a plan to basically close four different um, prisons in Florida. And uh, it's controversial because uh Potential closures could have a, quote, devastating impact in rural counties where prisons for the for generations have been woven into the fabric of local culture. So that's gross. It's, it's just like, what, what exactly does that mean? Prisons have been woven into the fabric of local culture. Um, there's a quote from the county commissioner, John Meeks, um, of the state's small county coalition, who said, quote, you could literally kill a community overnight by closing a prison if it's in the right location. You're talking about generational changes that would affect our citizens. It's because state prisons provide direct jobs for corrections workers, but they also have, as this article says, a cascade impact on surrounding communities um, where their employees buy groceries and eat at restaurants, attend schools, purchase homes. Um, And then rural regions with correctional facilities also benefit from people who patronize local businesses making as they make trips to visit loved ones or friends who are incarcerated. This guy said, Meeks, the county commissioner said, quote, it's almost like its own form of tourism. Um, And then and because inmates are included in counties census counts, the loss of prisoners could result in a significant decrease in state and federal revenue sharing funds, um, which this guy said would be another devastating blow to rural areas. So especially we will get to the census in a different episode and how disappointing it is, especially in New York, that we lost a Senate seat in that state because 89 people because of 89 if 89 more people we would have maintained but we lost a senate seat so did california while texas got two more and it's a it's a problem so but we will get to all that but especially in this moment where we're getting data from the 2020 census which was um not allowed to have an extension due to the pandemic because trump 
didn't benefit Trump to extend it and make it more accurate. Um, I hadn't even thought about the effect of prisons on census data. And, and it almost seems to me, it seems kind of like, and maybe this is a stretch, but it seems a little like the three-fifths compromise when census data was in the 1800s try, when they were trying to figure out how to count slaves as a part of like population census um, information. And they came up with each slave counted as three-fifths of a person, notoriously completely horrendous. Um, and it is gross to me that counties would want to keep the prison's because of like quote local tourism, basically the boon to their economy um, that, and because it helps them get um, federal and state funds because they can count these people, these incarcerated people in their census data. And it also, um, yeah, it, that, that to me is, is really gross. This came from um, uh, Ed Bermilia, um on Twitter. Um, he also said, a fun thing to do with census data, census data is to look up what percentage of the apparent diversity in rural areas is statistically made up of incarcerated people. people. Spoiler, it's a lot. So just another way to think about uh, incarceration and uh, who it's benefiting, you know, and how and... and um, and how that actually plays into the census too. So uh, another another Florida, we had a Florida Rick Santorum voter suppression and census incarceration bullshit. We see you. <laughs> Ugh, we see you. you know, it makes me nervous. Yeah. Ugh. Well, wrapping up with a good thing, um, we wanted because last week was. Uh, Earth Day was last week, um, although that it feels like a long time ago. There's some good news stories from good, good, good company um, to celebrate for Earth Day. And so we just wanted to highlight those. Um, a coalition of more than 50 countries have committed to protecting 30% of Earth's land and oceans. The price of solar electricity has dropped 89% in 10 years. Five years after um, they were destroyed by a tropical cyclone, coral reefs off of Fiji are alive again and filled with vibrant colors and fish. After years of work by activists, the Keystone XL oil pipeline permits were revoked. Shell says its oil production has peaked and will continue to gradually decline annually. Um, a U.S. federal court affirmed a ban on offshore uh, oil leasing in the Arctic and the Atlantic. Um a woman in Kenya opened a factory that turns plastic waste into bricks that are even stronger than concrete, which seems like the most badass thing I've heard. Um, a new approach to making jet fuel from food waste cuts carbon emission by 165%. Um, and the University of Oregon is starting an environmental justice institute. And then on top of all of that, um, little tidbit from uh, <laughs> my boyfriend on this is that uh, the, he said that Elon Musk is looking into um, creating an electric car um, version of the Ford F-150 or maybe, or maybe it's the Ford F-150 is looking into creating an electric car version of, of themselves. And that, and because the Ford F-150 is like the most popular car in the United States, that would be impactful because people are probably still going to get it. And then they'll be driving an electric vehicle. Um, so, and I might've botched that news a little bit. Cause I just thought I'd tack it on to the end. Cause it is interesting what's going on with these like business people and, you know, Ford 
Ford motor cars. I'm sure that there's some, some, um, that that could really be, that could be helpful if it actually happens. And there are all these Ford driving people who aren't going to not buy Ford, but they are now. (laughs) Right. So who knows? Anyway, that's a good thing and happy earth day and yay for all these innovations. (laughs) I don't love Elon, but I am into that. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. Um, well, that is it for us. Um, we'll see everyone next week. Um, Feminist Without Mystique is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Ta-ta. Bye. Bye.